Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host, from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's Lisa, and I am back. I'm so excited to be back, and I'm so excited to be answering um, listener questions. I've gotten many responses, or many, yeah, many questions, I guess. I'm doing the responses I apologize for putting this out there and then disappearing all summer. But again, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, you'll know why. And um, I just didn't do them. Anyway, I'm going to move on with the list. And I do put on, on the form that if you want me to answer a question, that it shouldn't be certainly anything urgent. Um if you're in an emergency or crisis situation, you likely need a lawyer or um, immediate help. Please don't wait for me to do a podcast on it. But anyway, here's a good one um, because I get it a lot. And she says, I don't have a specific question. I am just seeking to develop my knowledge so I can advocate an IEP meetings effectively for my kids. Great question. I get that all the time about um, how do you become an advocate? How can I become an advocate? Um, I get the question a lot from teachers about retired teachers want to become advocates. So you can become an advocate and advocate, put a little TM behind it. There, it depends on what sense of the word advocate you're talking about. If you just want to be an advocate, which means the voice, um, if you just want to be a voice for your child, I can certainly give you a lot of tips on that. If you want to become an actual paid or agency, you know, volunteering for an agency, paid for an agency, if you want to become an actual advocate as a profession, there's that too. Um, they're very similar. I would say the the bar is raised a little bit, certainly, if um, as far as expectations, if someone's going to pay you. Um, so a couple of things. One is that, and I'm talking about a paid professional advocate here. If you want to become, you want to do this as a job like I do. There is only one that I know of anymore an A1 class that you can take. It's a series of classes. It's offered by COPA. And when they only run it every fall and every May or June, they put out the, um, the information and the cost and the signups. They put that out in, the, in late spring and it literally fills up within days. 
Um, if you want to, if you're thinking about doing it, become a member of COPA so that you get the emails about the course and it's expensive. It's a couple thousand bucks and, um, sign up when they offer it. They offer three different levels. Um, and no, I have not done it and I'm going to get into that in a minute, but if that's, if you want to take a course, if it would make you feel better to take a course, you know, that's the one to take. That being said, every state has um, a parent training center for, for special education. Some are better than others. They're all very much underfunded and could use a lot more funding and they could use a lot more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, some are just better than others. Some, I mean, I've spoken with some folks at these parent training centers and some have given just blatantly wrong information. And there's a lot of egos in this field, which is unfortunate. And people don't like to be told that they're incorrect. Um, but I've, I've had some in the group say, well, of course, you know, I say, well, that, that information isn't correct. Actually, a parent cannot demand that or a parent does not have the right to expect that. And they'll say, well, I know because I work at the parent training center. Um, it's okay. You know what? I've been doing this for 10 years and I make mistakes too. We all do. Apologize, learn what you don't know and, and move on. Um, but anyway, so there's parent training centers. If you, I have a list of them on a day in our shoes.com. If you just get on there and search like state agencies or something, it'll come up. Every state has one and they offer all kinds of training. There'll, there'll be webinars, all kinds of stuff, um, that you can learn. There's a lot of misinformation out there about IEPs. There's a lot of training out there. If you start really looking for it but there's a lot of misinformation. And then there's a lot of information that isn't incorrect necessarily on the federal level, but your state may have different regs addressing that particular issue. So then that would kind of render it incorrect, I guess, if that makes sense. So first place to look for training is COPA. They will actually have, they actually have courses on how to become an advocate. Second place is your parent training center. Look for them. And they won't have a necessarily have a course on how to become an advocate, but they will have courses on just different aspects of the IEPs or, you know, that you can learn and you just piece together the information that you can. Um, the other place to look is depending on what your child's condition is, you know, look for agencies associated with that. And a lot of times they will offer various IEP trainings and things related to IEPs for your child's specific condition. The other way to become an advocate is also just volunteering and practice. I think we've all started with our own child and then it went to helping friends and family and neighbors and then maybe volunteering with an agency or getting hired with an agency. Um, that is, I mean, that's exactly how I got my start is that my son, my son and our situation prompted me to get the training. And 
from there, I helped a few people out. And then I was hired on at an agency um, at the ARC. And I was Advocate of the Year, I might add, in 2012. Um, I got hired on at an agency and then from there just went out on my own. Know that it doesn't pay well, um, particularly if you work for an agency. Um, I know some people are like, well, oh my gosh, how can you say it doesn't pay well? Because this one advocate I know, she charges $500,000 to do this. Um, yeah, some do charge a lot, but I guarantee you that they're not, um, they're not billing you for all the hours. There's so many hours that go into this that parents don't see. Um, because the concept of IEPs is just so vast. And just when you think like, you know, something, um, a family comes to you with a very unusual situation and you have to do a ton of research. Um, so I just, I'm not saying you can't make a living at it. You can, um, you're not going to make NFL player kind of money doing it. So that's how you, those are some training courses. Then you volunteer. And then from there, you just, um, you know, you just either get hired on as an agency somewhere or start your own business. And that's the aspect of it, you know, mine, mine is an LLC. So then that's very time consuming as well. Um, having to know LLC and I mean, it's just a small business. It's just me and you have to know taxes and just all this other stuff. So it's not just the IEP knowledge. It's then you need the, the small business knowledge. Um, so those are, you know, some of the pros and cons to working with an agency. If you work for an agency, you don't have to do all that. The agency does that. Another way is I, it's, it's a new, newish trend in that some law offices and law practices are starting to hire on staff advocates in addition to attorneys, because not every family who comes to them seeking help necessarily needs to go to due process some things can be handled or at least tried with an advocate first. And, um, you know, then they have advocates on staff to handle those situations. I, the training I took, because I do reference it in some of the older blog posts, um, the training I took in, I think, 2010 to my knowledge, it doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it does. I don't know. Um, it was a very good training. There are a lot of great advocates that came out of that training with me. It was 12 weeks. Um, I learned so much. I learned where to find information. I met so many great people who continue to be resources for me this day to this day. Um, the problem is that with that training is that some things came out in the media in that the person who created the training, there were questions about her credentials and how that person presented themselves. That maybe they weren't as honest as they should have been in representing who they were and their experience and their training. Um, 
that was kind of a big news story here when it came out. It's very unfortunate because the industry, there's no certification, there's no licensure, and that's why you can't get reimbursement from school districts. Um, if you hire an advocate, that comes up sometimes. Well, can I get the school district to pay for it? Um, can I get my insurance to pay for it? No, because there's no licensure or regulation regarding IEP advocates. So how would they determine, you know, if you're a good one? But also, because the field itself is so new, you know, it's just new, it's evolving. And so far, the industry doesn't necessarily demand that you be certified. And there is no certification. I don't think COPA calls theirs a certification. Um, there are other programs kind of evolving out there. And I always give the example that it's kind of like a lifeguard. And in lifeguarding, you have Red Cross and you have Boy Scouts of America and you have YMCA and you have Ellis and you have all these different things. And if you ask any of the people who teach those courses, each one will say, well, yeah, we're the best. We're the best lifeguard program that there is out there. And there used to be a lot of other lifeguarding programs. And over the years, they kind of bubble up to the top. And the one that seems to be the most effective and the most recognized kind of fights its way to the top. That hasn't happened yet with special ed advocacy. I would say if any program has kind of bubbled to the top, it would be the COPA program. But that is, um, I haven't taken it. I honestly was going to take it this fall. And by the time I got to the signups, it was already full. Um, I haven't taken it only for the reason that at this point I read through the syllabus and I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but I read through the syllabus and I'm like, what the heck I could teach this. Um, but I was going to sit through it just to kind of have it under my belt, just as a refresher can always learn things from advocates, other advocates and other people working in the industry. Um, so it's not to say that I wouldn't learn anything from it. I certainly would. But the syllabus as it is written is all concepts that I am extremely comfortable with and knowledgeable in. So that's why I don't do it. Maybe next year, <laughs> excuse me, next year I'll remember to sign up on time. That's how you become a paid professional advocate. Um, you just kind of, it's a bootstrap industry. You just kind of start on your own and go for it. If you want to just be a better advocate for your child, I have lots of tips on that. I could talk for hours about that, but I won't. I'll just go into it for a few minutes. Um, the, <sighs> the two main tips that I have, if you want to be a better See, now I'm already saying two, and I, I have two written down, and I'm like, nah, maybe there's three, and then I'm like, nah, maybe there's five. Let me just go through them. One is that just kind of embracing the fact that you are on the learning curve. There's a lot out there that you and I don't know, 
And as they say, we don't even know what we don't know. It's exhausting being on the learning curve all the time. But, you know, there's, there's not, not a lot of ways around that except to learn more. And every day I wake up and, and I think, okay, today's the day that I'm just going to, you know, every question that comes at me, I'm going to know the answer. And that day has yet to arrive. Um, because even once you get comfortable with your child and their situation and you think you're solid and stable, um, like new behaviors will emerge or they get older and social and academic demands on them change and they change or you're in transition time or they're moving buildings and then like it just opens up this whole new Pandora's box of things that you need to know. So just kind of embracing that there's a lot that we don't know and that's okay. We're learning. And I always say, you know, there's that the power of yet, um, which is a song by Sesame Street actually, but it's called the power of yet. And it's just, I don't know this yet. I don't feel comfortable doing this yet. Um, and you will, there will be a time when you look back and you go, oh my gosh, just three months ago, six months ago, one year ago, I didn't know all this stuff. And now look at everything I know. So that's one embracing that you're going to be on the learning curve. Um, the other is to just engage in the process the whole year. So many parents just put stock in the IEP meeting so for two weeks out of their life, they're completely stressed out over the IEP, and then that's it. That's all they do. They stress out over the meeting, they go to the meeting, and they never look at their IEP again. You wouldn't want your team just looking at the IEP once a year, so neither should you. It's, it's a process that you have to engage in, start to finish, keep records. Um, I have the IEP organizer. It's available at adayinourshoes.com. It was developed just for this purpose, to keep you engaged the entire year. Um, that's, that's a big one. Um, and the third one, I will add a third one, and I can keep it pretty generalized. It has to do with communication. Is, is the whole Hanlon's razor concept that not everyone is out to get you and um not everyone hold on let me look up a handlands razor let me look up a definition of handlands razor never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity okay um it's a mental model it's recommended many different places, many different psychiatric and psychological websites um, in dealing with communication. Um, it's, it's a philosophy to kind of adopt. Um, and let me give you an example, because this one comes up a lot too, um, is that, well, I called the teacher or I emailed the teacher and it's been four days and she hasn't gotten back to me. What do I do now? And like right away, we assume that the teacher doesn't care about your needs. She doesn't care about your concerns. She doesn't care about your child. She's blowing you off. You know, all these things that we assume 
because an email goes unanswered or unresponded to, not responded to, I forget which is correct. Okay, all these assumptions that you make when someone doesn't respond to an email. When your email could have gone to spam, she could have had a family emergency, her laptop could have died, her, she could have, perhaps you required, um, like maybe she had to ask someone a question about part of your question and she's just waiting for that person to get back to her. Um, I think I said family crisis. She could be sick. She could have just been really busy at school. It could be who knows what time at school that she didn't have time. I mean, there are just so many different reasons why we don't answer an email right away, aren't there? I mean, think about your own inbox. Think about your own texts. Do you honestly answer every single email and every single text right away? No, we don't. So it's just about not making those assumptions, not assuming everyone is out to get you. There's a lot of horror stories. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of stuff and baggage that accompanies the special education world. Um, but we can't go through the process all day, every day, completely jaded that everyone is out to get us. And just giving people the benefit of the doubt in communicating with them and in working with them will just do wonders for you. I can't, I just can't even say it enough. Um, just taking that big picture view of the situation and not taking it personally, you know, she's not answering my email because she hates me and she thinks I'm a pain in the ass. You know, she might have a stomach virus, you know, who knows? I mean, there's just, there, like I said, there's just so many reasons why, why people don't answer an email right away. And because they hate you, is not even usually even on the list, but yet that's often like the number one assumption when it comes to IEPs. So those are my three tips for how to become just a better advocate. And I don't mean paid advocate, just a better parent advocate is embrace that you're on the learning curve and just know that you're on the learning curve um, so that you're not so frustrated and you don't feel so overwhelmed about not knowing things because there's just a lot to know and none of us can know it. Um, and embracing it all year round, engaging all year round, and that will make it easier on you, I promise. And just going into it with a big picture view, having an open mind and not making assumptions about, about people. And that should be it. Um, that is some tips. Those are some tips on how to become a better advocate. Uh, I have a lot more on this at a day in our shoes.com and thank you for listening. 
Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group. Wait.